Buenos dias. Listen, uh, before I begin, I just have to say uh, it's such a pleasure to be here with the Rebel Eves. And also, this just says so much about your community, because women like us are problematic and have been deemed too much for the church, which is why we're not there, why we're here. So I just have to point that out. It just says so much about your values, so thank you. So it's really good to be with you again. And I wanna say happy post-Thanksgiving. Uh, I trust we're all adequately blissed out on Turkey. I literally drove here with my pants unbuttoned. They are buttoned, I just checked. I just checked. But I'm sure we all went around and spent some time thinking about what it is that we're thankful for. And maybe you went around the table and you said, you know, this is what I'm grateful for. I'm thankful for this and my health and my kids. It's a little bit harder to say thank you for the things that we didn't choose, for situations that maybe aren't ideal in our lives. And this morning, I want to reflect on a radical creative principle, a way of looking at what is even most challenging, to discover how it might be leading us to new life, to creativity. So I want you to think of something that's happening in your life that isn't going the way that you want it to right now. Just consider a set of unchosen limitations or constraints that are hemming you in in some way. Last time when I was here, I felt like when we were discussing grief, I heard a lot of these types of stories from many of you. Life circumstances that have some of you feeling like, hey, wait a minute, I didn't choose this. Like, I didn't sign up for this. And I want you to think of one of those circumstances in your life right now that feel like an unchosen constraint. And now I'm gonna, pro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer a provocative question. What if that very thing that's happening in your life right now isn't a problem? What if this isn't a problem? And I know you may be thinking like, are you serious, Bri? Like, like this is really uncomfortable or this is painful or you don't really know what's happening in my life. So let's just put a pin in that. We'll circle back around at the end of the talk, but first I wanna share some stories. So some of you may know this, but I'm a mother to two boys. And my two kids are three years apart, which means that when I had Rowan, who is my second, I also had a three-year-old toddler. Those days were the definition of insanity. But I still found these little windows, these little pockets to create in the midst of the madness. And as you know, I'm a musician, and so I would try to get some vocal takes and demos done while the kids were taking naps. You heard that right. <laughs> so. I would put the kids down, and I'd finally like have everything ready to go. I'd sit down, I'd press the record button, and undoubtedly I would hear, Mom, 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 you know, like one of the kids would just, of course, wake up, and I'd think, you've got to be kidding me. And I'd throw my headphones off, I'd trip over my cords and cables, I'd run to the boys' room and try to get whoever was protesting down before he'd wake the other one up, you know? I'd finally get them back to sleep, and then I'd sneak back into my study, and I'd like try to remember where I was, who I was, what day it was, record again, like just you know hit wherever I was, like pick up where I had left off and keep going. When I look back on those days now, when the kids were little, I sincerely don't know how I kept my sanity. Life was marked by constant interruptions, lack of sleep, and no autonomy over my days. Every day was an unknowing. 
There was no way to anticipate if I'd have the space to shower, let alone record or write or read or, you know, have like a coherent thought in my head. <laughs> Some days I would get lucky and I would literally record demos one line at a time in these like little 10 minute intervals, like while the kids were in there protesting against the nap. Most days I simply surrendered to the flow of their needs. I'd play hours of the same game on the floor. We'd go on daily walks regardless of the weather. There, was messes, there were messes everywhere. There were stains everywhere. Constant diapers and potty times and tears and giggles. It was wonderful and it was so hard. But I let love make a blender of my life, throwing moments of creative expression in the mix of the demands of being a mother to two creatures under the age of three. And sometimes that smoothie was good, and sometimes that smoothie was crap, like literally. And the thing is, looking back, I wouldn't trade those years for anything in the world. The difficulty experienced when life imposes a constraint on our lives is that some part of us rebels thinking, wait, 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 I didn't sign up for this. Even when it's a miraculous, beautiful thing like becoming a parent, suddenly the life that we had before kids disappears into a fog of like this hazy, golden, ambiguous glow. Like, what did we do with all of our time before? Like, what, I don't remember. <laughs> So what set of constraints in your life make you feel that way now? Like you're longingly looking toward the before and sense this feeling of eternal frustration and damnation with the now. It's kind of like how we feel in the dead of winter when we can't remember what summer feels like. Like was it really warm enough to run around in shorts? Was it? Was it? I don't really remember that. And this is definitely true of those of us who live here in Michigan, as we're experiencing this morning. So I'm obviously not a native Michigander. Um, came here in my teens uh, and then moved away, came back. But living in Michigan is to be forced to make peace with this fact. Winter comes earlier, it stays longer here, and for many years I, along with most, complained my way through this season, this season bitterly and with anguish, bemoaning these seemingly endless days of gray. But somewhere along the way, I remember I just decided that I was done. I was done complaining, I was done dreading it, so I stopped. I decided to equip myself with better gear, to fill my house with candles and twinkle lights, and I decided to befriend it. I decided to choose it back. And guess what? The most miraculous thing happened. I began to appreciate it. I even began to, I began to love it. So like winter, constraints, whoa. Constraints are a part of life. I'll hang on to it. Something is gonna force you to reckon with limitations. Whether that's small children, and parenting and the demands of little ones in your life or on the opposite side of the spectrum, you may be having to care for an ailing parent or maybe you're finding that you can't travel anymore, that your mobility has been shifting. The point is that winter seasons of our lives are going to come. 
Whether it's a season of feeling like your own hopes and desires and wishes have disappeared under the ice, or whether you suddenly find yourself in a blizzard of larger demands that force you to compress what it is that you want to do in tiny borrowed moments. In seasons of creative winters or in seasons of constrictions, we have to remember that this constraint is there as a part of the cycle of life. And instead of resisting it, the creative gift is found when we can learn how to work with it. In other words, when we choose to consider that maybe this constraint, maybe this enclosed place that I'm in that I didn't choose, isn't a tomb, but a womb. Now this morning we spoke a little bit about trauma, so I just wanna say, I'm not saying that violence is something we choose back, right? but rather I'm talking about how we choose life, new life, healing anyway, even when things that we haven't chosen happen to us. The creative opportunity that exists when life hands you a set of circumstantial constraints is found only when we learn how to choose it back. When you say, okay, okay, I didn't initially choose this, I didn't ask for my life to be hemmed in by X, Y, or Z. I didn't ask for my life to be turned upside down. But I'm going to try to choose to trust it. I'm going to try to open myself up to how I can be transformed through these circumstances, how I can grow, how my priorities can be shaken up in a good way, how my perspective can shift so that a new creative expression can flow or an unforeseen ingredient can find its way into the recipe of my life. So during those years as a young mom, I was getting more and more into mysticism. I was studying the mystical streams of Christianity, Sufism. I was dipping into Buddhism as well. So I began meditating. And naturally, I started getting up at 5.30 in the morning, like you do. <laughs> so that I could have some time to reflect and meditate before the boys would wake up. So I would get up, I'd make coffee, I'd sit down, and much like my demo making, I would be 10 minutes into a sit when one of the kids would wake up. And it didn't matter if I got up earlier either. I did try this, I tried everything. If I got up earlier, the kids would wake up earlier. If I tried doing it later, then they would wake up at that point. It's like they had this like homing beacon, like they just knew when I was doing something, anything that I was doing that, where I didn't want to be interrupted. So I complained about this one day in a living school session, which is a two-year formation program that I was part of at the Center for Action and Contemplation. And I was complaining about this to one of the faculty members, James Finley. Some of you may know his work. He's an incredible teacher and writer. And I said, Jim, listen, all of this oneness and like transcendence and like, you know, blissful you know, union with the divine, hours of prayer and meditation, it sounds great. It really, really does. But it feels like it's apparently only available and reserved for folks who are retired and have nothing else to do with their time. <laughs> I was like, where is the mystic with like one screaming babe on her hip and like a screaming toddler at her feet while she's trying to type on her laptop, write a song with her foot, and the like dinner is burning on the oven? Because like that, that is my life. And he chuckled and he said, okay, okay. Let's role play this moment. You be you and I'll be God. <laughs> I was like, okay. 
<laughs> he says, no, Brie, I can't tell you what it means to me that you're, you're getting up to meditate and commune with me every morning, and I'm sitting here with you, and we're in that center of love, and honestly, it just moves me to tears. I mean, look at you. You're exhausted, and you're still getting up, and you're giving up sleep for me. I mean, really, this is just so touching. <laughs> and we're all chuckling in the room at this Jim as God impersonation. And then he looked at me under his big, bushy eyebrows that he has with like a little twinkle in his eye, and he said, but you see, the thing is, I'm so moved by you that I just can't handle it. So I rush into the bodies of your children and I wake them up because I want to know what it's like to be held by you. <laughs> it still gets me. <laughs> what a reframe. What a reframe. What if this, whatever the constraints are in your life, isn't a problem? What if the interruptions of your life are actually God, love, the universe, rushing in to touch and be touched by you, to interact with you, to co-create with you? The surrendered stance that I took as a young mother, albeit exhausted and not without moments of real angst and frustration, was to simply practice allowing my creativity to exist within and as the shape of my life. Instead of seeing those demanding days as a problem, I chose to embrace the constraints as part of the womb that was making something new in my life, as a season that was engendering something vital, even in all of the pressure that I felt during that time. After I weaned Rowan, I went on a retreat to the Sonoran Desert on the Desert Fathers and Mothers, led by Cynthia Bourgeau, another incredible author and writer that some of you may know. We had been studying the writings of these pioneers of Christian mysticism and monasticism, who in the third century felt a growing incompatibility with you know, the core of the teachings and the institutionalization of the empire. Some of us might relate to that situation. <laughs> so they just left, like you do. They literally left their homes in the city and one by one began setting up camp in the desert in these tiny little caves, which they called their cells, where in solitude and closer proximity to the environment, they could proceed to live out their spiritual practices and their values in peace. So Cynthia sent us out and said, I want you to go into the desert and I want you to pick a spot and draw a five to six foot circle around yourself in the ground. And I want you to sit there for four hours. No food, no journal, no book, no phone, no spiritual plan for enlightenment. Just water you in a hat and see what happens. We had just been exploring one of the sayings of the Desert Fathers, which goes like this. Sit in your cell and it will teach you everything. Sit in your cell and it will teach you everything. And I mean, at the time, I was a 31-year-old who was like starved to plumb the depths of like mystical writings and desperate to experience the heights of consciousness and transcendence. So this saying wasn't exactly like blowing back my mystical hair, if you know what I mean. But Cynthia had offered an observation on the energetic power of constraints, and then she kicked us out into the desert. So determined to be a good student, I went into the wilderness, found my perch, drew the circle, and sat. 
And it didn't take more than an hour before I started to feel this like slow creep of anxiety and resistance, right? My mind started doing somersaults and flips and every instinct was to simply resort to daydreaming and fantasy or a nap, one of the three. But I remembered that it was a choice to be there, a precious choice. My then husband had taken up taking care of the kids so that I could be there, so I wanted to take this seriously. I only had this much time. This was a constraint too, and I wanted to choose it back. So in that choice, my intention began to slowly still in me. And as I stilled, the most miraculous thing happened. Every little leaf that moved on the, every dry bush became apparent to me. The small sighing sounds of the little insects, the quiet sovereignty of the tall cacti, the occasional caw of a crow in the distance. As I became more present, I became more and more connected, membered to what was around me. And it wasn't just the life that was evident, it was that it was life that often doesn't get noticed, that we so often fail to appreciate. The warmth of the rock on the face of the mountain, its quiet solidity and maternal-like embrace. I was aware of the very air as it moved, and because of it, I was nourished by it. I was nourished by it. In the constraint of the experiment, my perception tuned into a more receptive frequency. And the more present that I became, the more I accepted the constraint of that circle, of that time, the more enlivened I felt. And the rest of the hours passed by quickly. Sit in your cell and it will teach you everything. So my friends, what is your current cell? Your constraints, whatever they may be, can be alchemized by the power of your choice into a womb of transformation and creativity. You see, the thing is that limitations, it is the limitations that force and create a container, whether those limitations are time, money, resources, circumstances, or seasons. The edges of everything that we think is holding us back from what we want or wish for can actually become the boundaries that hold something new and unimagined in to be created in the midst of everything that we think isn't right with our lives. <laughs> the only spell that's needed for this miraculous shift is your conscious choice. What if, what if, it was precisely all of the interruptions of those early days as a young mom that forced me to appreciate presence in a new way, that taught me to lay down really good vocal takes without overthinking them. You see, the irony of all of those nap demos that I did is that those demos wound up being placed in Victoria's Secret campaigns and Orange is the New Black and all sorts of other national campaigns. And I can't even tell you how funny and ironic it was to watch on television as supermodels pranced with their like giraffe-like legs while I'm sitting at home in sweatpants and like milk-stained t-shirts, you know? It's like bizarre. What if this? the constraints that you are currently experiencing in your life. What if this isn't a problem? So here's the takeaway. You can sit there 
in whatever unchosen circumstances comprise the winter of your discontent and become passive in a pity party made for one, you can, that's your choice, or you can choose to become remembered to your agency by consciously accepting your constraints, not as a tomb, but as a womb. You can choose it, whatever the it is, back. And in the choice making, you convert the constraints into a container of transformation, of creativity. So I want to just lead us in a brief meditation now, just for one minute, if you'll indulge me. I brought my timer so that I'd be prompt. So if you feel comfortable, I want to invite you to close your eyes or lower your gaze because I want us to practice this together. I don't just want you to hear what it is that I'm saying. I want us to give this a shot. I want to invite you to consider what is the constraint in your life that you are most resisting these days? And I want to invite you to feel the edges of that constraint, how it's limiting you in some way how it's kind of pressing and pushing against you. And pressed in and hemmed in by this constraint as you now are, I want you to locate the choice of your power, the power of your own agency to reframe it, just like Jim Finley did for me. I want you to ask yourself, what if this constraint isn't a tomb? What if this is a womb? What if these precise circumstances are exactly the pressure cooker that I need to be transformed into something new? What if these precise ingredients, these limitations that I'm so frustrated by are exactly the way through which love, the universe, God, is seeking to mingle with me, to co-create, to touch and be touched by me. What if this isn't a problem? What if this isn't a problem? May we all be courageous enough to really consider that question and adventurous enough to see what happens when we do. Thank you. <laughs>